Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. Welcome, Faith. Hey, good to see everybody here today. Glad you came this morning. Take your Bibles out and turn to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 20. We've been in the book of Luke uh, for uh, really since the beginning of the year, even before that, even in Christmas. We, most of our messages for Christmas were out of the book of Luke. We looked uh, initially at the miracles of Luke, some exciting miracles that records, uh, uh, all showing that majesty and power of Almighty God and who He is, and He's still alive and powerful today. And then we looked at the parable sections, teachings that change our life, parables all about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom looks like, what's involved in being a part of God's kingdom. And we just started our passion part a few weeks ago, and we're, it's keep moving forward. We're looking at how Christ kept moving forward right up to Calvary, and how his courage helps us to keep moving forward. Because of what he did, we can also move forward. Uh, how many have ever heard of Payne Stewart? Let me see your hand. We got any golfers around here? This is a remarkable story. Payne Stewart was an uh, American professional golfer. He won 11 PGA Tour events, including three major championships. Uh, Payne Stewart was a popular with the crowd. They all loved him. He always wore that ivy cap that he had and those knickerbocker pants that were the, the old throwback to the old golf days. Very colorful, very lively. Everybody in the crowd loved him. In 1999 at the U.S. Open at Pinehurst, he sank a 15-foot putt that beat Phil Mickelson by one stroke. I want you to take a little look at this video replay, if you would. Two putts like this for par in the last three holes, isn't it? It is, and these uphill putts, you have to hit them so square and so perfect. There's no help. Uh, pretty much the history of the U.S. Open has been is nobody makes that putt. Payne Stewart is the 1999 U.S. Open champion. He referred to it as the redemption uh, and the way he won it and the way he conducted himself uh, both during the event and then afterwards and, you know, the advice he gave Phil Mickelson. It just, it's incredibly special. When he walked over to Phil and put his hands on his cheeks and said, you're going to be a father, the fraction after enjoying his biggest professional high, his greatest moment, that he would have the presence of mind to go up to Phil and say, you're going to be a dad. I mean, he was, he was a new man and we all knew it. A man we liked very much. Well, I have to, uh, first of all, I have to give thanks to the Lord. And if it wasn't for the faith that I have in him, I wouldn't have been able to have the faith I've had in myself on the golf course today. Four months later, on October 25th, 1999, Stewart was killed in a depressurized Learjet of apoxia, which is loss of oxygen. Flying from his home in Orlando, Florida to Texas for a year-ending tournament, they lost communication with the pilot about 9.27 in the morning. And it's about that time the aircraft, the Learjet, they fly at extremely high altitudes at very fast speeds. 
made a veered to the right, made a right-hand turn, and at uh, 9.30 in the morning, the plane ran on autopilot off course until it crashed out of fuel in South Dakota four hours, 1,500 miles later. The Learjet was literally a flying coffin. Payne Stewart, age 42, and four others were killed that day. Doesn't seem fair, does it? You hear stories like this, and uh, this is just one of many, many stories I could have shared. It's unplanned. No one could have calculated that. No one could have anticipated that. It seems like finally when he is at the height of his career, he had just turned his life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, he's heading for this last golf tournament, and, and for four hours they are dead in the plane flying on autopilot until the plane finally comes down. doesn't seem fair. Robert Schuller makes this statement, life's not fair. You hear it everywhere, on the playground, on the athletic field, in the office, in the entertainment world, in medicine, even in the Bible. Lawyers, spouses, children, students, you name it. No one has been immune from the feeling of injustice. Life's unfairness touches everyone at one time or another. Does it ever make you wonder, uh, when you see injustice all around, why God just doesn't jump in and fix it? Make it all right? Correct all the injustices, solve our dilemmas, fix all the problems that are out there? Why do the innocent suffer? I think that's a question that we've all wrestled with at some time or another. Why do the innocent suffer? Uh, Where is God's protection in their time of need? Why do we walk through those times of pain or seasons of pain in our own life? Why God? And there are times it doesn't seem to make sense. Now we're going to look at Luke chapter 23 today. And as we look at this chapter, I think you're going you're to see the ultimate picture of injustice. And what is going to happen is the greatest man who ever lived, the most wonderful person who ever lived on the face of the earth, who is totally innocent, will undergo the greatest pain and suffering imaginable. All the while, a guilty man will go free. And as you look at it on the surface, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't add up. It seems like the most ultimate injustice of all time. The bitter reality is life is not fair. It's not always fair. And so the question for us is, how do we keep moving forward? How do we progress when we go through those times when life doesn't seem fair, when, when, when everything seems to be going wrong, when it just doesn't make sense? Stand with me. Let's look at the story. Luke chapter 23 and verse number 13 today. It says, Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people, and he said to them, you brought, me the, you brought this, me this man as one who was inciting people of a rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and found no basis for the charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, and as you can see, he has done nothing deserving death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. With one voice they cried, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore I will have him punished and then release him. And with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. 
So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you, God, that you took our place. We thank you, God, that this injustice was carried out, that we might have life. I pray this morning you'll open up our hearts and our minds, understanding to receive what you have for us from your word today. We love you, God. We ask it in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. How do we keep moving forward when God doesn't make sense, when this doesn't all add up? Well, first of all, you've got to keep to the plan. You've got to keep to the plan that God has. Three times in this story, Pilate, the Bible says, finds Jesus Christ innocent. You see it in verse 15, you see it in verse 20, and again in verse 22. And, and all throughout this trial, he's trying to let Jesus Christ go because he, uh, Rome was all about law and order. It, law, Rome was all about justice. And so if he could find any way to release Jesus Christ, that's exactly what he wanted to do. He would have him beaten. He would bring him out. He would think that's going to be enough because he's been beaten, because he's standing there as a bloody pulp in front of them. They're going to say, okay, he's had enough. Go ahead and let him go. He's going to find the very worst of the worst and offer him up and say, okay, make a choice now. They're still going to cry out to crucify Jesus Christ. Pilate had tried to send the case away to Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the ruler over all of Galilee. But Herod, the Bible says, found him innocent as well and sends him back to Pilate to be tried a second time. So right now you have the second trial of Jesus Christ. And now he has a huge problem because he believes Jesus Christ is innocent, but the Jewish leadership wants him executed. Pilate does not want an insurrection to develop, which would mean possibly his own execution. And so he is between that rock and a hard place. And and so Pilate thinks, I found the answer. I found a loophole. And it's the Passover time. And sometimes these rulers in Rome would find occasions to please their Jewish crowd in Jerusalem, their Jewish audience. And so he goes back to the Passover and he says, you know what, it's time to let someone else take their place or someone else can stand there. And so we can release somebody else at this time of the year. We'll we'll let them absolutely go free. And so what Pilate does is he finds the very worst of the worst. He finds somebody who is already on death row himself, sentenced to be killed or executed, a guy by the name of Barabbas. Barabbas, it says it twice in Luke 23 that he is both an insurrectionist and a murderer. He has led revolts. He has led rebellion. He has killed a lot of people along the way. And he is the very worst prisoner Pilate could find. Because he thinks, surely they're not going to release this guy back into the civilian population and let him go. It's interesting that in the Aramaic, the name Barabbas means son of the father. Son of the father. Bar meaning son of and Abba. You've heard Abba father, Papa God, Daddy God, Barabbas. It literally means in the Aramaic, son of the father. And, and the name, it could be a reference to God. might be a, a long-time reference to son of God, son of the father. Or, or rabbis considered themselves to be fathers in some sense. And so he may have been born the son of a rabbi at some time in his life. 
Some manuscripts, the old manuscripts in Matthew 27, gave him the name Jesus Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas. When you, when you go back and read Matthew 27 in your Bibles, you won't find Jesus Barabbas. You'll just find the name Barabbas. Because along the way, the scribes who had translated the oldest manuscripts they could find, along the way, the scribes tried to eradicate the name Jesus off the front of Barabbas because it was so offensive to them to attach the name Jesus to the name Barabbas. And so in our translations today, as it gone from generation to generation, scribe to scribe, eventually that is lost. Although you find the name in the oldest, very oldest manuscripts, Jesus Barabbas. The gospel describes him as a murderer. He's in prison for insurrection and treason. It's interesting. The man's name is Jesus, son of the father. And then you have Jesus Christ, son of the father, son of God. What an irony that he would be the one who would replace Jesus Barabbas. And you see this all playing out and taking place. Pilate's a pitiful character. He is a man of absolute power and authority and control. He's a very ruthless dictator in Jerusalem at this time, in Judea at this time. And yet he's afraid of the people. He's afraid of what the people might do. He's afraid of what the people might think. And so I think he thinks he can call their bluff by picking out a man by the name of Barabbas to come up and 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 be the one he would release and the one he would let go. But he underestimated the Sanhedrin's hatred for Jesus Christ and the desperation for them and their position. They pressed hard. They said, crucify him. Crucify him. Finally, Pilate gives in, and with the wave of a hand and a stroke of the pen, he condemns Jesus Christ to take Barabbas' place and die in his place on the cross And he would release Barabbas to the crowds. He lets an innocent man suffer the death penalty to protect his political position and power. And so you see this this coming together of the Jewish religious ambition and Pilate's political ambition. And those two unite and they come together to sentence Jesus Christ to death. And I will tell you, it doesn't make sense. We don't understand how that logic works, how it could even come about, how it could even happen that way, that evil is celebrated and good is jeered. Doesn't make sense. And down goes Barabbas, and he runs into the crowd, and he's cheering, and he thinks he's the, 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 the people's person or man of the hour, and, and he goes down, and look at me, I'm free, the crowd loves me. Doesn't make sense. But it was all part of God's master plan and when life doesn't make sense in our own lives or in our own circumstances or what we see around us we've got to know that God is always working out his plan I take you all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 you see this plan in the very beginning that God has for man you know the story Eve ate from the forbidden tree and it set God's plan in motion that he would have a plan throughout the ages to defeat sin and Satan once and for all. And when he curses the snake, he says in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so he puts this plan of salvation. Adam and Eve have just fallen in the garden. They have failed miserably. They are separated from God. 
He said, but I have a plan for you. There's going to come a time when the head of the serpent is going to be crushed. And good will triumph over evil. It was the culmination of God's plan to save mankind. And then he calls Abraham and he says, Abraham, I want you to leave your own country, leave your own people. I want you to go to a land that I am going to show you. And I want you to journey to that land and I will show you this land. And so the Bible says that Abraham left not knowing where he was going. Doesn't make sense. Doesn't add up. No GPS. No way to know where he was heading to. He would eventually arrive at present-day Israel. Something else he tells Abraham, and I will bless you, and I will make, multiply your nation as the stars of the sky, and I will make your seed a great nation, and you will bless all the nations through the seed I will give you. But that totally didn't make sense because he has no kids. He has no children. And now he's 75 years old, and later he would approach it. They would repeat it again when he was 90 years of age and 100 years of age. And it doesn't make sense, but he trusted God's bigger plan. God would use a famine to bring the descendants of Abraham back to Egypt. They would be in slavery for 400 years. They would be beaten. They would be killed. They would be abused. They would be struck down. And when you see the, the, the nation of Israel in Egypt and you see them struggling under that bondage and oppression, it didn't make sense. And we look at that story and we say, it's not fair. Life's not right. Where is the justice of all this slavery going on? And yet the nation grows inside the womb of Egypt and he displays his mighty power to the Israelites and they see the ten plagues come upon the people there and they see the, the, the Red Sea part and God delivers them and they would forever know about the the mighty, powerful hand of God. I want to tell you when it doesn't make sense and you feel like you are beaten down, God has a plan. God has a plan. And he's always moving his plan forward. They got in their homeland of Israel and they broke covenant with God and the nations began to worship other idols around them and so God would send prophets and they would bring these warnings and, and because of their wickedness and because of their sin and because of their idolatry he allows the nation of Israel to go into captivity but Jeremiah would write in Jeremiah 31, 33, I will put my law in their minds, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And when the Israelites heard this, it didn't make sense to them. They didn't understand that they are in captivity, and he talks about a new covenant, a new age, an age when I would put my law inside of their hearts. Didn't make sense. They didn't understand it. They couldn't put it all together. And when Isaiah would write in Isaiah 53, he, there would be someone who would be wounded for my transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, uh, and by his stripes he would be healed, and it would please God to, to bruise his servant. Doesn't make sense. And, and the people in that day could not connect the dots. They couldn't put it all together. But on this day, it all begins to come together. And now you understand Isaiah 53. And you begin to know what the suffering servant is really all about. Because Jesus Christ himself would be our suffering servant. His back would be laid open. He would be bruised for my iniquities. 
The chastisement of my peace would be laid upon him and I would be healed by his stripes. And so it all comes together in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the way back from Genesis chapter 3 to the day he would give his life on Calvary, it all comes together. God is always working out his plan. It was the only way for a perfectly sinless man to die for the sins of the world. And in that day, in that moment, Christ would face a choice. He could save himself or save humanity. Listen, when God doesn't make sense, when you're frustrated, when you see injustice, when you see the innocent suffer, when you can't figure out what God's up to, understand he has a plan and he's working his plan Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, it says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. When you don't understand, I have plans for you. And they're good plans. And I will bless you. And if God declared that to a rebellious nation of Israel and Babylonian captivity. He certainly has a good plan and a good future for the children of the new covenant. God has a plan for you. And when you don't understand, trust God's plan. Keep moving forward and say, God, I may not always know what's going on right now, but I know, God, you will take care of me. I know you have good plans for me. I believe you have plans to bless me and prosper me and take care of me. Trust God's plan. In the midst of it all, when God doesn't make sense, trust his plan. But the second point is this. When God doesn't make sense, make sure you keep in grace. Keep in grace. Why Barabbas? The worst of the worst of the worst. I said son of the father could have meant maybe son of a rabbi or Maybe even just declaring he was the son of God, some kind of unrelated son of his heavenly father. But most scholars believe this, son of the father meant that they didn't know who his father was. So they simply gave him the name Barabbas. Could have been illegitimate. We don't know who your daddy is. We'll just simply give you the name son of the father. Son of the father. Barabbas is a part of God's plan because Barabbas is a picture of God's grace. Let me say that again. Barabbas is a part of God's ultimate plan because Barabbas is a beautiful picture of God's grace. Son of the Father, you see what it means for God to step in and take my place. You see what it means when it says, he, knew, he who became sin who knew no sin became sin for us. You see, I am Barabbas. You're Barabbas. We are Barabbas. We are the one that Christ died to take our place. Not only should have been Barabbas hanging on the cross, it should have been every single one of us. We are Barabbas. Romans 5, 8 says, Christ loved us and died for us while we were still sinners. You see, God loved Barabbas, killed people, 
led insurrections, murder, the worst of the worst. And yet God loved Barabbas and he sent his only son to die for Barabbas, to die in his place. And that, my friends, is the ultimate expression of the love of Almighty God. You see, we have this insane notion that when life doesn't make sense, we want to take over and we want to take control and we want to be in charge and we want to call the shots. We want to dig ourselves out of the hole we find ourselves in. We want to set ourselves free from those chains that bind us up. I will tell you, we think, I can work this out. I can fix it. But I want to tell you, no, you can't. You will never be free from your own sins. You can never free yourself from your sins. You will never ever be good enough. You can never ever earn God's grace. You can never work hard enough to earn your salvation. Someone had to pay the price for you. Barabbas could have never escaped judgment had Jesus Christ not been offered up in his place on that Passover celebration without a substitute. God says, let me have your burdens. Let me have your insecurity. Let me have your sins. Let me have your hopelessness. Let me take it upon myself. Stop trying on your own. Let me do this for you. You see, you are not saved by works. You are saved by grace alone. We cannot save ourselves. It is only through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am Barabbas. When God doesn't make sense, we can trust his plan is working for our good. We can trust in his grace when things don't make sense. Even when it seems like evil's winning, we can trust in God because God's grace is enough. God had a plan that included the cross. Jesus took the place of Barabbas. He took the place of Larry. He took the place of all of you. And he had to take our place so we could be set free, so we could go free, so the chains could come off, so we could celebrate our freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ so we could live again. So when you feel like you've been treated unfairly and everything's going wrong and everything's collapsing all around you, when you feel like evil's getting a free pass and there's no justice and you say, God, where are you at and why is this going on and why is this happening? And when things don't make sense, keep trusting in God's plan and above all, trust in his grace. Trust in his grace. God loves you. He took your place so you could rest in him and trust in him and have everlasting life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you would. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father, we love you so much. God, your grace is so amazing today. Thank you, God, that you took my place. Thank you, God, that you died for me. I thank you, Jesus. I pray, God, for each person here today in this place. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here who has not yet received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today, Lord, today would be the day 
they give their lives to you. Today would be the day they put their faith in the risen Lord. Today would be the day they receive your grace and every sin can be taken away. Do your work this morning, I pray. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.